The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. Well, good morning. My name is Darren Smith, senior pastor here at Tower View Baptist Church. It's good to have you with us. Thank you so much. Uh, we hope you had a Merry Christmas, and you've uh, uh, most of you, that looks very different this year, but we hope you're safe and you're well, and everyone is uh, doing great at your household as we uh, uh, celebrate the holidays this time of year again very differently. But one thing that is not different is our commitment here at Tower View to preach the Word of God. So thank you for staying with us in that. For many of you, this is a old routine. You've been with us, your church members or regular attenders. But for some of you, we acknowledge this may be your first time uh, seeing us or hearing hearing us and preaching. So thank you so much. And if you're a Christian, we especially know that you'll grow. You're always welcome to join us on a Sunday morning at 1030. Uh, primarily right now, we're in our cars for drive-in church, though we do have some limited spots inside. Uh, you can go to our website, towerofukc.com, for more information but if you're not a Christian, uh, however you got here, God brought you here. So thank you so much for hanging with us. We will be speaking to you throughout the sermon. So if I say the words non-Christian or uh, uh, non-believing friend or whatever, just, just listen. It's very important because we know that this word, the, the Bible, the Word of God, speaks both to Christians and non-Christians. So thank you so much for joining us. Sermon title today is to, to stay in the race in 2021, to stay in the race in 2021. Now that Christmas is over and, and we're, we're looking forward to a new year, I just want to give you an encouraging message today about your faith and about what that means in the, in the coming year. And so we'll be in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And these are very, very familiar verses. They're very straightforward. But I pray, as always, that God would refresh us in these truths and He would remind us of these truths as we go forward as well. So let me read Hebrews 12, 1 to 2, then we'll pray and we'll get in our sermon from there. This is out of the English Standard Version, the ESV. That's our Pew Bible version here at Tower View. And so hear the word of the Lord, and may God be glorified. This is what God's word says. The writer of Hebrews writes, he says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder or, or the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And again, it's Hebrews 12, 1 to 2. May God bless the reading, hearing, and doing of his word. Let's pray together, and we will get in our study as we go through our day. Thank you so much for joining us. Let's pray. Father, we pray uh, just a prayer of thanksgiving, Lord. Thank you for for reminding us, uh, Lord, especially this month of the coming of your Son. Father, we know the gospel from, from is, is founded from eternity past until your Son came and is still be li being lived out and will continue to be lived out forever and ever in the lives of your people. But Lord, oftentimes our faith can wane, it can, can wax and wane, Lord, as we go through hard times, and especially this year of 2020, that has been such a curveball from our human perspective, not from your divine perspective, Lord, we just pray for wisdom, encouragement this morning, motivation, Lord, from your word, because your son faced even harder obstacles than we are facing in front of us. 
yet he considered it all joy. So, Father, give us wisdom as we go through these times, as we look to stay in the race in 2021. Father, we love you, we praise you, and we ask this today in your son's name, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, it was the opening round of the 1,500-meter running race in the 1972 Olympics in Munich, and there were 10 men on the track, and the focus, though, was on one man, and many of you who are local to Kansas City know this name. His name was Jim Ryan, who at that time was the world record holder, and he was from Kansas. He became, a, 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 I believe, a Senate or a House representative of Kansas for several years, but he was undefeated for three years before he lost to uh, a Kenyan in 1968. So the world was awaiting this rematch in 1972, but, but it would not happen. Because during the third lap of the opening round, Ryan tripped over a runner from Ghana. And, and, and Jim Ryan lay on the track for at least eight more seconds, trying to recover himself while the other runners continued at their blistering pace. And suddenly, Ryan sprang up and ran hard until he crossed the finish line. This is not what he wanted. This is not what he expected. And it wasn't, of course, what was, what, what was projected for him. But Ryan came in 10th, but he received that day the largest ovation from the crowd. He, look, he didn't qualify for a medal, a gold, a silver, or a bronze, but he did finish what he started. He stayed within the race. And friends, this is the message of Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, to not stop running until you have finished the race of faith. The, the call here and the letter that we just read out of Hebrews was written to Jewish Christians. We don't know who wrote it. Could have been Apollos, could have been Paul, could have been someone we don't even know of. But it is in God's word, and we know that they were under heavy persecution. People were being thrown to the lions, burned at the stakes, all sorts of things across the known Roman world at that time. But the writer of Hebrews tells them to stay in the race, to keep on keeping on, because Jesus is better than what they could consider returning to. He's better than angels. He's better than the law. He's better than anything the world has ever known. Because of that, stay in the race. And so most of this letter is kind of churning those topics out, in which this anonymous writer carefully explains how Jesus is superior to the Lord Jesus, to superior to everything else. But in chapter 12, the writer transitions from explaining about the faith, about the doctrines and teachings of the faith, to now practical living about Christianity. Now, doctrine is practical. What you believe about God makes sense in everyday life. But especially now, he, he really makes the rubber meet the road, as we say. So it begins as a, as a practical thing. But he describes the Christian life as a race. And he calls these troubled Christians to stay into the race until they finish the, get to the finish line. So the question is, are you in the race? Non-Christian friend, only those who repent of their sins and trust in Jesus Christ as Savior uh, and Lord can qualify to be in this race. The Christian race requires a new life, a new spiritual life to participate. And if you've not experienced the rescuing grace of God, then run to the cross. Believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, and, and you will be saved. And, and that's what I want to look at today. Our big idea is simply this, is that we are to follow Jesus. We're to get in the race but the Christian race is not easy, but it is worth it. Look, the race of the Christian life gives purpose to life. It gives hope for the future, and it gives a reward in glory. And in athletics, only one person wins a race. Even in uh, the show, our kids are kind of outgrown, but they've loved the last couple of years. Cars won, if you're used to that, Lightning McQueen and all that sort of thing. 
in the very first when all of them tie and they have to go have a race off of the top three racers. Look, but in, the, in, in athletics, so only one person wins the race. And oh, by the way, um, Lightning McQueen did not win that race at the end. Spoiler alert. But in the Christian race, all who persevere to the end will be saved. It's not just one winner. But Jesus says all those who hold on to their faith, who stay in the game, will be saved and will be with him in the end. We do not compete against one another as Christians. We compete against the flesh, the world, and the devil, 1 John 2 tells us. But there are obstacles along the course that would cause us to slow down, to turn back, and want to just frankly throw in the towel and give up. But don't stop running until you finish the race of faith. Just like Jim Ryan got up, and he could have walked off with a disqualifying time, just walked off the track in shame. He got up and he finished that race. What does it take for us, spiritually speaking, to stay in the race? Well, the first thing I want you to see is that we are to run, we are to run, the writer of Hebrews says, with steadfast endurance. We're to run with steadfast endurance. You'll notice in in chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, that it is all one sentence. The primary clause of the sentence is what is at the end of verse 1. It says, quote, and let us run with endurance for the race set before us. The word translated race here is the word for which we get our word agony. It's a straining. It's, it's like those athletes that are straining towards the tape, trying to get their nose in front of everyone else to win the photo finish. But the Christian race is a difficult marathon. It's not an easy 100-meter sprint. It's a lifelong, long-distance race that requires effort, struggle, and determination. So endurance, he says, we must run with endurance. Endurance is more than just patience. Patience is passive resignation. When, when husbands, you're at the shoe store, however that works with COVID, and you're waiting for your, your wife or your daughters to buy shoes and buy clothes, you know that agony. And, and ladies, you know that agony as you watch sports with your, 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 the men in your life. But endurance is, is bearing under a heavy load for a long time. It's a steady determination to keep going regardless of the temptation to give up. It's, it's your staying power. And so victorious faith is not like an adrenaline that rises and falls, like after you drink a Red Bull very quickly and you, you, all your body surges up for just a moment, or a coffee or a cappuccino. It's more like the heart that faithfully keeps beating no matter how you feel. And this is how you finish the Christian race. He says again, he says, quote, let us run with endurance for the race that is set before us. Set before us indicates that the race takes place on a predetermined track. Look, you can't choose your own course. God sovereignly maps it out. He says, this will be your lot. This will be your time. Acts 17, on on Mars Hill in Athens, Paul told the, the Areopagus that he was speaking to. He said, God has determined the boundaries of each people and the places where they should go. Look, God sovereignly maps it out, and all Christians run on a predetermined design track. But each Christian must stay in his or her own lane. And other people's lanes may be easier or harder than yours from your perspective, but that's none of your business. In fact, you must run your own race. You cannot win if you do not stay the course before us to the end. I mean, think about it. Jonah wanted to run someone else's race. He wanted to literally run away from the race that God told him to run, and he ran someone else's race. He went to the other side of the world. And God said, no way, Jonah, you're going this way, and eventually he did. You know, it's kind of like another running story. I know this is an easy sermon for me as a runner, so forgive me for all the analogies, but they fit. On April 21st in 1980, 
Cuban-American Rosie Ruiz was declared to be the winner of the Women's Boston Marathon. Her time of two hours and 31 minutes was the fastest women's time in the history of that marathon. It's also the third fastest at that time in history for women. But her victory was short-lived because suspicions immediately began to emerge when Bill Rogers, who was the male winner for three years straight, didn't remember seeing her out on the course. No one did, in fact. And she could not be found in any video footage anywhere. And Ruiz, surprisingly, could not remember any details about the race uh, that were common knowledge to runners. In fact, when they interviewed her after the, cor- after, after the race, quote-unquote, she didn't even have any sweat on her. She looked as if she just literally stepped off the street. She wasn't tired or anything. She told the reporter, quote, I got up with a lot of energy this morning, which apparently helped me finish 25 minutes faster than the last one I ran and almost get a world record. Well, as you can imagine, eight, day later, eight days later, as history would go, marathon directors stripped Ruiz of her title when they found that she jumped on the subway system and jumped in the last few miles of the race, only to be declared the winner at the time. And they proceeded to implement surveillance measures to ensure runners never did that again. Look, God always had a sovereign surveillance system to make sure no one is crowned who does not run with endurance the race that is set before us. So how do we do this? He gives us two keys to running with steadfast endurance. We're still in our first main point. These are sub-points here. He says, first off, we are to follow good examples. We're to follow good examples. There's a principle in the in Bible interpretation called the law of full mention. Pastor Nelson and I probably got that wording sometime in our seminary classes. I had to relook it up, to be honest. But it basically says this. It says that to understand a subject, you should study the place where it's most fully addressed in Scripture. If it talks about it a lot in one place, that's where you want to anchor in before you go to the lesser text. So we need to do that here. We need to follow the examples to run with endurance. So if you go back to Hebrews chapter 11, which is called the, the Faith Hall of Fame or whatever you want to say, it's a list of Old Testament men and Old Testament women who prevailed through crazy circumstances through faith. And the readers were tempted to forsake. Remember, Hebrews was written to people who wanted to go back to obeying the law to be saved, to trying to do all these rituals to be saved, to trying to trust in Moses to be saved. But in chapter 11, the writer gives us a roll call of people. And he says, if you return back to those things, you will not be among these names. Because they didn't do that. They trusted by faith. I mean, let's just go through the list quickly. Abel shows that faith justifies. Enoch, in Hebrews 11, shows that faith sanctifies. Noah shows that faith testifies. Abraham shows that faith is the, is the call of a person when they go forward in faith. Sarah shows that faith multiplies. Isaac shows that faith looks onward. It looks upward. Jacob shows that faith, or excuse me, Joseph shows that faith looks homeward. Moses shows that faith, Moses' family shows that faith can come, even from a mother who had no hope at all. Moses shows the faith of man. Israel shows the faith of many. Rahab, who was a prostitute, showed the faith that receives. And many others shows that faith achieves. All these things, Hebrews 11, 39 and 40 says, Though they were committed by faith, did not receive the promises. But God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. What he's saying is this, is that to run with endurance, we need to follow these examples. The writer says that you should not try and go back to the Old Testament. You should not try and go back to the way things used to be before Christ, because they lived in those times by faith, 
trying to reach what we now know as the New Testament. So when the writer says in Hebrews 12.1, he says, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, he's going back especially to Hebrews 11. The word cloud could be used here to refer to a great number. We're surrounded by a mass company of witnesses. It could mean the Old Testament saints, that we are surrounded by them. But there might be a theological problem with that. The Bible does not directly teach that saints in heaven are aware of what's happening on earth. This is why, this is why frankly, unlike some neighboring friends of ours, we do not pray to dead people. We do not pray to people who've passed. We don't mummify people and go to pray to them on our knees because we know there's one mediator. His name is Jesus Christ. So when he says we're surrounded by a cloud of witnesses, what is he saying? I think it means it's better to read witnesses to mean departed saints and testifiers, not observers. Look, the Old Testament saints that finish the race bear witness that it is worth it to stay in the race. I mean, Abraham can say, if I can finish the race, you can make it too. If Isaac can say, if I can finish the race, you can make it too. If the harlot, the prostitute Rahab can say, if I can finish the race, you can make it too. It sounds like an infomercial, doesn't it? Uh, it just sounds like I did this and you can do it too. Kind of like a Weight Watchers kind of thing. But in a, in a God word thing, you get what I'm trying to say. But this is the point. The point is, if we're going to run with endurance, we're going to stay in the race in 2021, we have to follow godly examples. But we live into godliness by faith and faith alone. But this is also an affirmation here of the communion of the saints. We're not only to run with endurance to follow examples, but also the communion of the saints comes here. Look, there have been saints throughout church history whose lives say to us, if I can finish the race, so you can make it too. But there are also Christians around the world that have witnessed for Christ with their lives, even today, who've never made the Bible, who've never made the news, who say, if I can do this by faith in Christ, in his strength, you can do it too. For that matter, there are saints in our church who, though they've not yet finished the race, they've pressed through the quitting points, and you've stuck with it. Christian, many of you can say, if I've made it through, so you too can make it. So run with steadfast endurance by following good examples. But you, you, you do this by following good examples, but you do this also, still in point number one here, by practicing spiritual discipline. Look at verse 1. He says, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely or so easily entangles as the old King James. Lay aside is a picture of taking off a soiled or, or, or ruined garment like a parent would take off a soiled diaper of a young child. And in the same word, James 1.21 says this, James says, quote, therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Also, Peter says in 1 Peter 2.1, so put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. To run with steadfast endurance, there are at least two hindrances that you must lay aside. You must practice spiritual disciplines by, and he tells us here, by laying aside every weight. This word translated weight is only used here in the New Testament. It's never used by anyone else. But the writer is not telling us to lose weight, although after the holidays you may feel that way. The concern here is the race, not the training. Look, in training, the weights are essential for building up strength and speed and stamina. But to carry weights during the race would be ridiculous. You don't want to run with weights. It literally weighs you down. 
victorious runners, victorious athletes travel light. And in the ancient games, athletes would run virtually naked, wearing as little as possible. I'm not advocating for that, but the point is, lay aside every weight. So we must do it too. Look, weight is not sin, which is directly addressed in the next phrase. It's not that which is immoral. It's not wrong in and of itself. Weight is morally neutral. It can even be a good thing. Yet it needs to be stripped off because it hinders us from growing spiritually. The problem is not what the weight is, but it is in what it does. It keeps us from running well and therefore from winning. A weight is whatever slows you down. Look, a weight in your life, you say, Darren, what does that mean? We're not talking physical weight. We're not talking saturated fat or complex carbohydrates, blah, blah, blah. This isn't a diet class. This weight that he's talking about is whatever cools off your fire for God. It is whatever dulls your appetite for the Word of God. It's whatever becomes an easy excuse for you to miss church. Yes, even the online that you're doing now. This weight is whatever tempts you to compromise your faith, your values, your spiritual necessities. So what is your weight? <laughs> Guys, never ask a girl that, right? That's not the question here. What is your weight? Is it a hobby? Is it a possession? Is it a relationship? Is it a pleasure? Is it entertainment? Is it those little, uh, those little, uh, uh, little Debbie uh, Christmas uh, cupcake kind of things that have little sparkles on them? I have no idea. That's a personal question, and you can't answer that for anyone else. My weight, my hindrance may not be your weight, and your weight not may, may not be mine. Your weight is whatever person, place, or thing that hinders you from running the Christian life with steadfast endurance. James 4, 17 says this. It says, to whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, to him it is a sin. So lay aside every weight but also lay aside every sin. If we must lay aside every weight, how much more do we lay aside the, the sin that so clings with it? Look, there is no saint so holy that he realizes he has certain tendencies which, if not allowed to control him, would lead to a breakdown of his testimony. Every Christian is subject to temptation. We are saints with sinner problems. Yes, even Jillian Michaels or whoever the, the latest... Uh, fitness guru has, they have their faults too. I'm sure they have cheat days. But there is remaining sin, especially as Christians, that can trip us up if we don't allow God's grace to not be the motivation and the strength by which we live. Look, we cannot be victorious with a let go and let God mentality. We must take responsibility for our sin. When and where we identify a sin in our lives, we must lay it aside. The big ones and the little ones. Signs of the flesh and sins of the Spirit. Every sinful thought or word or activity must be stripped off once and for all if we are to stay within the race. And verse 2 tells us why we must not play around with sin. It says it clings so closely. Again, uh, the writer of Hebrews uses a word that's found nowhere else in the New Testament, and scholars grope in the dark for its definition. But I think the old King James gets this right. It says this. It says, the sin which doth so easily beset us. It is a sin that encompasses us until we are entangled in it. Look, think about it. We're, 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 we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses as we run with endurance, and we're also surrounded by besetting sin. It's always there. So will you follow the example of the faithful, or will you go the way of sin? Just as God told 
Cain and Abel's sin is crouching at your door. Genesis chapter 4. Beware of the sinfulness of sin. One of those old dead Puritans said it this way, if you, don't, if you don't kill sin, sin will be killing you. And that is the truth. Look, you can't play with it and then set it down. If you touch it, it'll cling to you. Proverbs 5, and 23 says, The sins of the wicked ensnare him, and he is held fast in the cords of his sins. He dies for a lack of discipline, and because of his great folly, he is led astray. Christian, you are to run, point one, with steadfast endurance. Steadfast endurance. But secondly, you are to run with undistracted focus. You're to run with undistracted focus. Many years ago, the Grand Trunk Railroad Company, now now defunct, sponsored a contest to put up on a site at a railroad crossing. And, there's, and this isn't much money today. It is, but it's not. But back then, it would have been thousands more than it is today, uh, worth more than uh, today than it was then, rather. But the $2,500 prize went to an entry that focused on three words that we still use today. Stop, look, and listen. Before you cross a track, you stop, you look both ways, and you listen. And the slogan was later changed for signs that now read Railroad Crossing. But for many years, those three simple words saved many lives because that's what they had as a means of transportation primarily. So in Hebrews 12, 2, there are three words that have even greater power to save. It is looking, not, not stop, look, listen, but instead looking to Jesus, looking to Jesus. Chapter 11 is a roll call of the spiritual heroes that finish the race. They're listed to encourage the reader to persevere, but the reader is not told to look to them. We, we, we might go reference them. We might go back and say, hey, that was a great thing that happened in that Old Testament dude's life or dudette's life. But they're told not to look anywhere else but to Jesus. And he is not just another spiritual hero or even another face in the crowd. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. The writer says we should be looking to Jesus. The word looking here is a compound verb. It means to look at something. It turns your gaze from something else to focus on a specific thing. It's like when you are hungry and you're walking down the aisle with your mask on at the store or, or you're, you're shopping online for your pickup order, whatever you got, and you scroll, you, yeah, I wonder what they have on sale this week. And you seem to add a little bit more stuff to your basket than you had intended. Why? Because it looks good and you just want to eat it. Well, in a similar way, in a more spiritual way, that's how we should fix our gaze on Jesus. We focus on it. We, 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 we go and zoom in on it so much that it becomes the focal point of our lives. It's not about ignoring everyone else. It's not about ignoring our responsibilities. It's about being so consumed with who Jesus is that everything else is put in proper perspective. Philippians 3, 13 and 14, Paul said this. He said, brothers, I don't consider that I've made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on towards the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Look, this is the only way you're going to make it through the race, is you are going to fix your eyes on Jesus. Look, you, as you become a Christian, non-Christian friend, this is, the, this is the truth. When we were not Christians, we had to focus our eyes on Christ. We had to say, it's Him. He's the only Savior of the world. And so we look to Jesus for salvation. 
We look to Jesus for direction and strength and encouragement and help. But we look to Jesus because of who he is and what he has done. But who is Jesus? Well, he answers that. I mean, the name Jesus here is to affirm the humanity of Jesus. He does use these words. And I want you to see that. Look at verse 2 if you have your scripture open. He says, looking to Jesus, the, the, the founder, the author and perfecter of our faith. He does use Christ or Lord to emphasize that Jesus is human who, who knows our experience. And this goes along with what he's already said. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 says, For we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Yet Jesus is more than a human being. He certainly was human. He came down. And that's what we just studied this, this holiday season, as we always do. He tabernacled among us. He enfleshed himself. I've quoted this terribly the last several weeks. It's not a, uh, it makes me cringe. I'm sure it makes Pastor Nelson cringe, the message paraphrase. But it says in John 1 that Jesus moved into the neighborhood. And I love that phrase because it encapsulates what he did. He came down for us. But it says in verse 2, there's also a divine title here. It says Jesus is the founder or the, the author, some translations say, and perfecter of our faith. Jesus is the founder or author of our faith. It says in Hebrews 2.10, For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. Look, Jesus is the founder of our salvation. It wasn't made by Peter, as some believe that he was some uh, early pope. It wasn't made by, by, by some group over here uh, of pastors. Our faith is founded and created only by God himself. In our text, the writer makes the same point by calling Jesus the founder of our faith. He's the author, the originator, the pioneer, the trailblazer, the trendsetter, whatever it is. It is all in Christ. Christian, you need to remember that. If your faith changes depending on which preacher is in the pulpit, or your faith changes depending on who is around you as a Christian, you have to be very, very careful. Your faith is first and foremost looking to Jesus. Those other people are important and God puts them there, but your faith is founded in Jesus. So when something happens to one of your, your spiritual giants, you're not swayed that they fell, but you're strong and steadfast in who Christ is. But he says Jesus is also the perfecter of our faith. He's both the start and the end of the race. He is the one who brings our faith to its intended conclusion. And this passage, just to take an aside here, this passage is about the perseverance of the saints. I haven't talked about this directly, and this may have come up in your mind, because I've said it over and over that he who endures to the end will be saved. Exactly. Well, well, well who's going to endure to the end? How do we know if we're going to make it to the end, the end being uh, heaven, the end being with Christ? How do we know for sure? Well, this passage is about the perseverance of the saints. The perseverance of the saints is enabled by the preservation of the saints. It's not our endurance. It's not our strength. It's not our work. It's not our running. It's not our whatever that will finish the race. It is the fact that Jesus is the finisher of our faith. He who called you, he who began, and I'm going to read Philippians 1, 6 here, and Paul says this. He says, and I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Look, you are not saved by what you do, but what you do shows that you are really saved. You are a Christian. 
but your good works can no more get you to heaven, and your good works after Christ can no more get you to heaven than anything else in this world. The only one who take, the only one who saves you to heaven is Christ, who makes you like Christ is, is God, and the one who saves you forever in Christ is God himself too. That's it. So what did Jesus do? He goes on in verse 2, he says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And here, as, as he closes this letter, as he encourages them to stay in the race, he says, remember the endurance of Jesus. Remember the endurance of Jesus. And you'll note that here as he goes through. He says, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. This is the only direct reference in Hebrews that I was able to find at least in the, uh, about the cross. But let's remind ourselves that the cross was a cruel and unusual punishment. So painful was the crucifixion that the writer here coins a new term. He calls it excruciating. This is the physical pain that Jesus suffered on the cross. Yet more than that, and it's just not about the physical pain, what is in more in view of Scripture is the spiritual agony of the cross. 2 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is why, Christian, you should look to Jesus. He endured the cross, despised the shame. Look, crucifixion was not just about execution of bad people. It was, as every, uh, as every uh, civilization goes about, it was propaganda. It's a way, it was a way of saying that what happens to those who cross the Roman Empire, it was like the Wild West days in the United States of the leaving the, uh, the robbers and, 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 and the wild cowboys and outlaws up on a noose for several days to remind people that this could be them if they crossed the law. And so shameful was the cross that it was illegal to crucify Roman citizens. And the Jews believed anyone who was hung on a tree was cursed. You can read about that in Galatians 3. Yet Jesus endured the cross. Why? It tells us in verse 2, for the joy set before him. It was the joy of doing the Father's will. It was the joy of saving you and me from the wrath to come is why he did it. When Jesus prayed in the garden, Lord, let this cup pass from me, he was not trying to placate off or, or pass off his responsibility. As a human, he knew the physical suffering that was coming, but even more so, he knew the, the, the spiritual suffering that, that the Father would turn his face away, as it were, and, and the wrath of God would be poured out on him. Christian, but he had joy as he did it because he had, he had his Father's glory first and foremost in mind, but a very close second he had us in mind on that cross when he said, John 19.30, it is finished. Remember the endurance of Jesus. Remember also the enthronement of Jesus. The writer here seeks to encourage his readers by the example of Christ. I mean, don't miss this. Verse 1 tells us to run with endurance. Verse 2 says Jesus endured the cross. And if you just sneak down to verse 3, we haven't read this yet, but it says, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you will not grow weary and faint-hearted. Look, the writer of Hebrews does not want his readers to forget the cross. That was not the end of the story. He, in, in assuming the resurrection here in verse 2, he says that Jesus is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Because Jesus endured, he was promoted, if you will, from the shame of the cross to the glory of the throne. Psalm 110.1 says, 
The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies my footstool, your footstool. Jesus, then, is the fulfillment of this verse. He is seated in triumphant majesty at the right hand of God, fully God himself. But he's seated in sovereign authority to reign over heaven and earth. And this means that he is able to help you through whatever dangers, toils, and snares, as the old hymn says, you face as you finish your race. You know, let me close with this. Derek Redmond, who represented Great Britain in the 1992 Barcelona-Spain Summer Olympics, was running the 400-meter race. That's one time around the track. He was viewed as a serious threat to take home the gold medal, or at least to get second place, which is still good. Uh, but when the medal-winning runners crossed the finish line, Derek was not even close to being among them. You see, partway through the race, Derek's hamstring, you can look at this on YouTube. It's been used over the years as motivational videos. But partway through the race, Derek's hamstring literally ruptured as he was running his lightning-fast speed. And as you would too, it caused him to fall through the track in agony. And while the other athletes raced past him to victory, unknowing of what really happened, he lay on the ground in tears. But finally, he rose to his feet, and with pain dogging every one of his steps, Derek Redmond began to hobble to the finish line. And suddenly, and if you've seen the YouTube video, you see it kind of pan out. You see a middle-aged man wearing a T-shirt and a ball cap, as only a 90s kind of style could do, jump from the stance, fought his way past security, because everyone's focused on this runner hobbling around the track, and he ran right to Derek's side. Well, who was this man? It was Jim Redmond. It was Derek's father. Arm in arm and shoulder in shoulder, Jim, Derek's father, carried him, supporting the weight that his son's injured leg could not. Together, they stayed in Derek's lane all the way around to finish the line, which they crossed together. Now, officially, it was considered a didn't, uh, it was, it, he's disqualified. You can't have assistance on the track. But as they took that last step, the crowd in Barcelona, crowd in Barcelona rose to its feet. They knew he would, he would not get counted for finished race. He had assistance. But they stood in ovation and cheering, crying tears for, for Derek and his father because they stayed in the race. They finished the race together. Look, Christian, as, as we close, I just want you to know that this is the call of you today. This is the call of you to stay in the race, to remember to run with steadfast endurance, to remember to run with the joy of the cross set before you. And that is what we are told to do. So as you think about these things, as you consider these things, run with steadfast endurance, run with an undistracted focus. This year has thrown us a lot of curveballs. We, we know that. Some of you have lost people literally to COVID. Some of you have gotten COVID and it hasn't knocked you out. Some of you have yet to get it. But there's a lot of fear mongering going around right now. But our Lord tells us, no matter what's in front of us, to run with endurance, stay in the race, to run with undistracted focus, to always look to Jesus, to lay aside everything else. Friend, that's our call. You know, we've seen churches stripped down to the basics of basics these last several months, almost a year. I mean, as we're recording this in late December 2020, it's almost been a full year since this pandemic especially hit us here in America. A lot of things have changed, but our commitment and our call and our focus on on reaching people for Christ, on growing in Christ, on, on, be, uh, on being an ambassador for Christ, all the commands of Scripture, the one another passages, to love one another, to disciple each other, have not changed. It may look different, but the commands are still there. Running the race is nothing extraordinarily, you know, you just, you, you stay with the basics of the faith. 
But Christian, have you forgot that? Have you tried to over-spiritualize it? Or have you tried to underwhelmingly go through the motions of it? I don't know. But you need to pray to God and say, Lord, am I running with endurance? Am I running with undistracted focus? Because that really is the question. And look, if you're not a Christian, again, you can't enter this race we call the Christian life without coming to Jesus. God loved you so much, he sent his one and only son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal and everlasting life. Look, there's coming a day, non-Christian friend, when you're going to die, as will we. It's destined, Hebrews 9.27 says, for a man to die uh, once, and then afterwards to face the judgment. There's no purgatory, there's no, uh, there's no limbo sleep, there's no soul sleep, there's no, you know, I just get buried six feet under. Look, when you die, there's heaven and there's hell, and there's no second chance after you die. So if you're not a Christian here today, I plead with you. Today is the day of salvation. Turn to Christ. Come to him. It's not something you can get baptized into. It's not something you can be good enough at, try hard enough, be sincere enough, give enough money to the church, watch enough of these videos, whatever it is. The only way to come is to turn from your sin, to repent and trust by faith in Jesus Christ alone, by his grace alone. That's it. If you have questions about that, let us know, because that's what it's really all about. Let's pray together, and we'll close. Thank you again for joining us, and may God give us strength to run with steadfast endurance and run with an undistracted focus. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for our day today. Thank you, Lord, that you are worthy of all of our praise. Father, as we come to you, we know we are needy and that you are worthy, so we worship you accordingly. Father, help us to stay in the race in 2021. Father, even this year, and this is a whole other sermon topic, we know there's many people who profess Christ who have seemingly walked away from Christ as it were. Father, I pray for everyone who's professed to know your name. They truly know you, Lord. We know from Hebrews 12, just a few verses down from where we were today, that you'll bring them back. For those who profess Christ, who say, hey, I'm a Christian, but really were like those, uh, those seeds that your son told us about that fell on rocky soil or fell in the cracks, and they shot up for a season, but when the sun came out and the trials and tribulations came, they withered away. Father, would, they, would you draw them to truly come to Christ, repent and be humbled in their sin? And Lord, the same for anyone watching this today, hearing this later on, whatever it is, we pray that you would draw people to Christ. May your message be clear. Thank you for all those making this possible to, to, so that this can be heard and seen. Uh, Father, wherever you may take it. Father, we love you. Be with our church this year. Tower View Baptist Church is yours. It's not Pastor Craig's or Pastor Nelson's or mine or the deacons or anyone else. It is your church, Lord. And the gates of hell truly shall never prevail against the local church here and against all the universal church wherever your name is lived out and called upon. Father, we love you. Thank you so much. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, thank you so much again for joining us. Again, my name is Darren Smith. And on behalf of our staff, thank you for watching. We'd love to serve you anytime. Call or text us, 816-368-1330. Drop us a message on Facebook, or you can go to our website, towerofukc.com. God bless. Have a great day. We're signing off, and a happy new year to you and your family. Thank you.